papers and he said that you know surely he's got his idea of the way he sees the world but that uh, what he really likes doing is making money and uh, I think it's a, it's a brilliant sort of a move to, uh, to bring in some, uh, some other voices from other places. And in fact, on that CBC show, he said he would never hire a Linda McQuaig, you know, because he thought she was too far off the, the scale. Mm -hmm. So in a way, uh, you know, I think it's a very canny move on his part. My sense is, though, that, that the editorial direction of the paper, uh, by and large, will sort of mirror Conrad's, which is obviously a fairly conservative one, although it's not an arch-conservative one by any means. Um, and that certainly, as a national paper, it's going to have a, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of um, readers, I guess, that it reach a lot of people. Well, but he hopes. He hopes. Yeah. Well, that's true. A year from now, it could be belly up. Who knows? Uh, you know, he's taking on uh, Ken Thompson, I guess, with Globe and Mail, and as rich as as Conrad is, Ken mm -hmm. is a zillion times richer. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Ken's got the deep pockets. But uh, having said that, though. Um, I think that's nothing new, and certainly when I think back to uh, William Randolph Hearst, you know that he certainly had a strong political agenda and pushed it in his newspapers. That's always been the way uh, with newspapers. But I think that, that Black, to his credit, has at least tried to have uh, those dissenting voices in there. And I think that to some extent that the Toronto Sun has done that as well. We've seen in the last year with the free press that I, I certainly thought that things would be a lot worse there than I think that they are mm -hmm. uh, at this point. And I think that it does come back to this thing about how what they really want to do is make money and the way to do that is to get controversy going and to have all those voices in there um, because it's interesting to read. Uh, I think Bob had said once uh, that uh, you know he doesn't want to read things, papers uh, that say only the things that he wants to have uh, said because it's boring. That's right. You're not going to buy it. Well, Bob, what about, is, is there any danger to anybody from having Conrad own this many newspapers or indeed <clears throat> having him own a, a national newspaper now? I don't think so, and I think people worry too much about... Uh bias in the papers. That that comes with a paper, but just because a newspaper is biased or what, whatever media you're talking about has a bias does not necessarily mean that it's not objective. You can have two very biased people on two opposite sides of the spectrum and be very objective about a certain subject. I think, I think the more reputable papers, whether they're right-wing or left-wing, purposely inject some balance from the other side onto their papers because that's a test of their bias, let us say. Mm -hmm. And that if they allow that balance in there, they know that's going to increase readership because you, you just don't want to be preached to either by things you always disagree with or things you always agree with. There's no point in going over familiar territory. Mm -hmm. the, the whole news, like to me, I think opinion is, is almost more newsworthy than news because eventually opinion makes the news. And it's what people believe that eventually leads to the actions that we'll be reporting in the newspapers later on as news. What about the complaint that's often heard, though, particularly about columnists, that uh, columnists uh, obviously are expressing their own opinions, but many people take it as, as written. They, they, they take it as being news and take it as being reporting. The newspapers are, are at least in my experience, and the free press certainly is, has been very supportive of me, and that people have have uh, come after me and certainly many of their other columnists too and said, you know, this, this individual, he's not being objective here and they've been very good about saying he's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's not his job. But is it dangerous to have too many columnists running around there of whatever ilk who are, are waving their own banners? Because it doesn't say at the top of the columns, this is only my opinion. Well, I don't know what you mean by dangerous. I, I would think it would be very dangerous if we, if we lived in a society where we didn't allow columnists to say whatever they wanted in the paper. Um, Reputation is everything, I believe. And over a period of time, certain columnists and talk show hosts and whatever build a reputation, and people understand their biases, their prejudices, where they're coming from on certain issues, and they have to use that 
and, and weigh, weigh that against what they're hearing the person say about specific facts or events and, and, and always test in terms of objectivity. Um, I just can't believe anybody in any news media is objective at all. I remember the first time when Freedom Party came on the scene, and I'm not even talking about a controversial issue, but the bias, they, they gave us a very positive report in the London Free Press. They did a whole full-page article on us, but it was told lots of inaccuracies in it. And uh, just to give you an idea, we had a computer in the office, but a computer was a boring thing for them to put in a photograph for the Free Press. So they had us pose in front of all these old newspapers we were clearing out of the office from the previous tenant. And then in the paper, we see this picture with us posing the paper in front of all of these uh, old newspapers saying that the filing system at Freedom Party is still quite primitive, but we're cleaning it up type of thing, you know. <laughs> and it was a very subtle thing, but even there you got the bias of the photographer in that case. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's always a bit of show business, too. It well, tends to inject itself into uh, media reporting. The Liberal government uh, proposed the bill some weeks ago now, I believe it was C-44, which called for the regulation and, uh, and, uh, and what was the other word? It was a tribunal for the regulation and, oh, shoot. Well, it doesn't matter. Another anyway. tribunal? It was aimed at the CBC is what it was aimed at. Um, uh, oh, there is a word there, too, and it's a good one. I can't think of it. It doesn't matter anyway. Bill C-44, and it, which sought to, to change the mandate of the CBC, the, the, the uh, board of directors, the people who run the CBC today, um, are appointed to the CBC and basically are there until they make some egregious mistake or until they want to leave. They are relatively free from political pressure. The uh, prime minister, for example, fire the head of the CBC, unless well, the guy's worse really than that, they're, they're free from market pressure. Well, and, but, that's, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, but, you know, basically they're free from political pressure, in theory. Uh, this new bill, C-44, wanted to change that. It was going to change it so that every, uh, all the uh, members of the board and so on, the people who direct the CBC would serve at the pleasure of the government. Which means that if the, if you're not, the government's not pleased with you, you're gone tomorrow and they don't even need a reason. Now, a number of uh, journalists and, and uh, broadcasters and so on across the country spoke up against that, and the government wisely withdrew it. But they were serious. I think, I'm mm -hmm. sure if, if people hadn't complained, they would have gone along with that. Uh, they did it because they claimed, the, the government claimed that the CBC had been unfair to the Liberal government, that their reporting had been unfair to the government. Well, and you've got that complaint right now by, um, uh, what's the guy's name who broke the uh, APEC story? was taken oh, off the story because... Uh, Malewski. Terry Malewski, yes. yes. And that uh, the Prime Minister's office has filed a, a yes. formal complaint. Yep. Uh, the Ombudsman turned it down. Now they've appealed it to the next level, I guess. They're quite serious about claiming that the Prime Minister has had unfair coverage from CBC in this thing. Well, if this is a national broadcaster, yeah, a, pub, forget, a public broadcaster... Don't forget, no, it's, there's, there's that word again, public. Uh, okay, it's, yep. it's, it's, the CBC's I'm, owned by the government, so when the government messes with the CBC, that's a totally different thing than the government messing with CJBK. Indeed, but the point I'm trying to make is it's not a state broadcaster. It's not the voice of the government. Well, but they'd like it to be. Is that, uh, is that bad news? Uh, yes, and it's, it's also, I, I think, if anything, it's more admitting what the CBC, uh, in fact, is in many ways. Um... The CBC I've always regarded as the, the, the state broadcaster. It is funded by the state. It, it generally adopts a state point of view, if not a particular political party or particular prime minister's point of view, but mm -hmm. certainly it adopts a statist 
point of view, because whenever you see anything on the CBC, basically the editorial stance is towards more government, more regulation, more well, you, control, more, you know, barriers at the border. I would well, say, you know, not, not the government of the day, though. They, not necessarily, They, they rarely no. support the government uh, of no, the day. No, that's what I just said. Like, it, yeah. they might not support the, the particular political party in power, but they do right. state more, or support more state power continually. Mm. And to me, that, well, that's natural. You want it to be that if you're being funded by the state. <laughs> this is Left, Right, and Center. We're being funded by our advertisers. Very pleased we are to have them with us, too. Here's some important messages from them, and then we'll be back. Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz with me on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. I would remind you that the phone lines are open, too, at 643-1290 or star-1290. That's the Cantel cellular number, and it's a free call to you Cantel customers. And, and we're talking this morning about, uh, well, I'm talking about a bunch of things as we often do, but kind of about the, uh, the role of the media and the voices of the media from the left and from the right and what's happening in this country. Um, Bob said earlier that he would be, I think he used the word frightened, maybe that was the wrong word, to live in a society where columnists and commentators couldn't speak out. Oh, absolutely. And yet there are a lot of people who don't think we should be doing this. I, my boss gets complaints regularly from people who will say, you know, why do you let Chapman say those things? And I, not me, anybody who does this job gets it from time. Why do you let him say this? You know, why would you let him get away with that? Why would you uh, put him on the air and let him say such and such without making sure that you found somebody else to say the opposite? Is it a, is it would would it be better would it be better for the community Bob if we had every program like this had uh, had one person from the left and one person from the right I don't mean this segment but I mean you know talk of the town had two people every day so you could make sure that no particular agenda or nobody's particular beliefs got in the way of the other one I, I think it would I don't know I think it makes the conversation inter more interesting if it was just you and me or just me and Jeff or just you and Jeff here I think you'd have a different dynamic than you would with you know three people mm -hmm. but um, the idea that you always have to let the other person ha share the point of view with your airtime or your or the space in your paper that's that's a nice wish in terms of wanting to see balance, but you don't want to see that kind of a thing forced upon someone in any sort of legal way, or I wouldn't even want to do it if I was a manager of a newspaper or, or, or a media broadcaster. I'd uh, certainly uh, want my listeners or readers to know that the person that they're hearing from believes these certain things and not have it come out in, <laughs> in worse ways, you know. It's going to reflect somewhere. Jeff, what about from the, from uh, further to the left side of the spectrum? Because there is a uh, a, sen a sense and a sentiment uh, in the talk radio business, at least, that it tends to be predominantly people who are in the center or slightly to the right of center. That there doesn't seem to be as much representation of the left. Is that a concern for you? I don't want to talk about this program or even the city, but is that something we should worry about? Is that uh, in those of us who want to see some kind of balance in society? Well. Uh I don't know if it's something to worry about, but I think that it is an accurate phenomenon, and I, I don't know why that's the case, but I remember once there being a Bloom County uh, cartoon back when we used to run Bloom County, the, the penguin with the big nose and mm -hmm. so on, and he had opened a uh, left-wing rant radio radio station, but he wasn't getting any calls. He <laughs> was trying to think of some issue that would get people all wound up from the left, and it's like, nobody's calling. And, uh, 
Yeah, that seems to be the way the world is. But uh, it is a concern, though, of a question about how news gets out and uh, things you don't hear about uh, that, that you would like to as a left-winger that just may not be picked up by a, by a mainstream newspaper because they're not interested. I've I found, for instance, even Scene, uh, Scene Magazine in London will often have things that aren't covered by the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting stuff for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I find out other things. But is uh, it left-wing, right-wing oriented? Well, I don't know. Uh, in that case, it's more sort of insider type stuff, to, you know, city council and so on. But uh, I know as well, for instance, I was out last night, uh, uh, heard Linda McQuake speak. She was in town uh, speaking at the uh, Board of Education building. And she mentioned a couple of stories about things that had happened within the last few years that I had never heard of that uh, that were quite interesting to me. And I'm, I'm think, I don't remember that being in the news at the time. And, and I think that it wasn't really picked up. Um, and yet if there was somebody who was interested in sort of, you know, uh, I guess news, news theoretically, you've got the, the entertainment aspect of it. But the other part of it is that it's where you find out what your world is like. And if you're on the left and you perceive the world in a particular way and you attribute significance to certain things that happen that the right may not attribute significance to or may not want people to know about, um, it's a question of how do you get that information? Uh, and she mentioned last night, you know, it would be, she, was, she was joking about uh, writing for uh, Conrad Black and how uh, there's actually a term in her contract uh, that they won't change anything. They'll exercise no editorial control over a column at all. So she said she's wondering what's going to happen the first time she writes a column about Conrad, uh, bearing in mind that Conrad in the past uh, has said that she should be publicly horsewhipped. I, re- I remember he once described her as a weedy, not very bright leftist. And uh, so anyway, I, I said, well, I think that'll be the last column. That's what you'll call that one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, she said, you know, well, it would it would be a utopian dream for the left to have a national newspaper. You know, if there was some way that labor or somebody could put together funding for a paper that would tend to... Well, they to could. They, on, they I know. Could, if there was a market for it, well, there's that's no it. market for that. that well, stuff. I don't know. You know what's really funny, though? I, I talk to a lot of people on the right side of the spectrum, and they complain that the, all the media is left-wing, all of it, you know, with, the, with one or two little pockets of exceptions. And, and so what I'm beginning to perceive is that people on both sides tend to view those papers that hold a lot of opinion that they may disagree with as being on the opposite side, and there's too many of them around. <laughs> well, we certainly heard that on the, the Free Press Hour from time to time. People will phone. And uh, or we'll get stuff from the mailbag for them too, where where one week somebody will say your you know your paper is so left wing I can't stand it anymore, and in the next breath someone else or there'll be another letter in from the mailbag will say just the opposite your paper is so right wing I can't and, and you, stand they, it they anymore. They both might be accurate because they both read uh, two different articles. One was a left wing article, one was a right wing mm-hmm. article. Mm-hmm. So their perception may be accurate, and they might not even be reading the other thing. You know how much of a newspaper does the average person read in terms of the percentage of print in it? What? What would you say? Five percent, ten percent, ten or fifteen, maybe. You know, that would be you. high. That's true. Yeah. You know, and, and so everyone's impression of one publication is not the same as the next person's. Because one person might just read ads, the other person's just news, the other person's business, sports, and then commentary and and editorial. Although I understand the editorial pages are the second most popular. Mm-hmm. After the front page, I don't know if that's I accurate. Like comics best myself. That's what I well, was. Well, there's a whole deal. That's where the real politics yeah. is. <laughs> this is left, right, and center on uh, 1290 CJBK. Jim Chapman here, along with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, and we do invite your calls and comments at 643-1290. Would we be better served, gentlemen, if we did have some kind of? Uh, and Bob, you're not going to like this, but some uh-huh. kind of official policy of of a balanced uh, uh, commentary in the public media. 
would we be better off if there's some way or somehow, I don't know how we would do it, but if we could do it, would we be better off that, say, for every Jim Chapman who's on every day, there'll be a Jeff Schlemmer on uh, somewhere else every day, or every time uh, uh, David Frum writes a column, we'll, absolutely we're going to make sure that Linda McQuaig's going to get a, you know, crack at it, crack at it at the same place, same time, same everything. Is, would we be better off? Would we be more informed that way, do you think? No, I think that would be terrible, although I think that the, the, we have a version of that right now with the CBC in the sense that I, my sense is that the CBC is out there to sort of provide an alternative viewpoint to what the mainstream media does. And uh, one of the points that, that Linda made last night was she talked about how there are, there are other values in a society or a community other than the market, and there are other things that, that uh, people may be interested in, but they may not be marketable things. They may not be things you can make a lot of money at, for instance. And she, she, it seems to me that the CBC sort of provides that, that, it, that as you said, it's not driven by advertising, really. It's not uh, out there to be, to be uh, uh, profitable, per se. Uh, it's there to provide sort of what, what we, you know, uh, since whenever it was started in the was it 30s, 40s, I can't remember, uh, perceive as a Canadian alternative to American um, media influence. Uh, and I think that that, that that does sort of serve that purpose to some extent, that I know that if, you know, there's David Frum in the Free Press, who I, who I try not to read, and one of the things that I've sort of adopted is the idea, as Bob said, that Didn't I just, you try I just, not I just to read, read what I'm interested in, <laughs> and the things that are going to upset me, I just don't read them, and then I don't get upset. Um, but I can flip on CBC, and then I'll be happy, because they'll say all the things I agree with. Let me just say <laughs> something about David Frum yesterday. Yesterday, uh, of the four pa five, five papers I read yesterday, he was in three of them. Is the same column in the Toronto Sun, the London Free Press, and the National Post. The same column. What is it about that guy? I don't know. <laughs> so maybe that's what Jeff means when he's trying not to read him. He runs into him everywhere he goes, you know? <laughs> this is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. So uh, I'm, I'm really trying hard to get either of you guys we, steamed Jim, up Jim, about we, this we, lack of balance. We have there. an official policy of balance. It's called freedom of speech. It means that if you disagree with something, you can start your own paper and get out there and, and flog it and, you know, have, have your merry heyday with it. You know, it, that's the policy the country's got to uphold, because if you keep talking balance, 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 what if, what if nobody's interested in writing for one side of the issue? Maybe nobody believes that anymore, and you wouldn't want to have an official policy forcing that opinion on people all the time. You, I, you have to be reflective of the marketplace, and, and I... I think too that when 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 Jeff, when you're talking about other values besides the market in terms of CBC, um, you're you're basically saying the CBC is purposely existing to do unpopular things. The market is the is the audience out there. You know, if they're not doing things that the market wants to listen to, and something else besides the market is driving them, I get concerned. What is that something else? No, I mean and it's, it's generally political power. An alternative to business markets. What I'm saying is that, for instance, you can't make a lot of money running a legitimate religion, but religion is an important part of our society. But it's not a profit-making enterprise. There are other things out there that uh, again. Well, they don't call the money they make profit. Everyone has to take in more money than they spend, or they no, can't survive. No, I know. Survive. But you've got Boy Scouts. You've got all kinds of organizations in society that aren't there just for a profit motive. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that uh, just because you can't make money at something doesn't mean it's not an important uh, part of our, of our community and it doesn't express important values that are worth sort of spending some time preserving, even though they cost us money rather than making us money. Uh, 
But then again, that forms a marketplace. If people have a certain value that they're willing to spend money on, then then there's your market. Somebody's going to be taking that money in somewhere. Even in religion, you have religious bookstores, churches, whatever else. Well, and CBC there. isn't free. We pay for it through taxes. Never. You know, I always used to wonder at, at particularly Christians who complain about the commercialization of Christmas, for example, as being a value. And I'm thinking, well, that that's the very big signal that people do value Christmas and what it's all about. Otherwise, they wouldn't. It wouldn't be commercial. I think they missed the point. No. You know, well, you know, that's everybody's always saying that the other guy misses the point when really everybody, I think, really thinks much along the same lines. One thing I guess that concerns me, and I think that I would agree with somebody like Ahmad Barlow, for instance, she's concerned about the concentration of, uh, of power in Conrad's hands with Southam. <coughs> Southam has been extremely successful. And, w and one thing about Conrad Black, and I, and I understand there's a London connection here, is that uh, he's the guy back in uh, was it the 70s that he started up uh, with a little paper. He's the guy who, who went contrary to the prevailing wisdom, which was that newspapers were on the way out, mm -hmm. that TVs were, TV was the way of the future, and that uh, paper readers was declining everywhere. Why in the world would you buy a newspaper? They're just a dying breed. I don't think newspapers will ever be on the way out as will any print media. I think even the more we have internet, the more we have more information to exchange, we're going to have more paper in one so way, shape, handy. or form. They're so much cheaper than a computer, so much well, easier to read than a computer screen. Absolutely. Let me tell you, me tell you about a dilemma in this thing, and this is a personal dilemma for me. I write a column every Sunday. Uh, on occasion, people will take issue with that column. And that's fine. And I made a decision when I started to write it. The very first column, I said, I'll be here Monday morning to answer if you don't like what I, what I wrote. Um, that happens infrequently, quite frankly, that people will call on Monday and take issue with it. But I also kind of made a little policy with myself that if someone does respond to that and uh, gets into the paper and the letters to the editor, that I'm not going to counter-respond because I've got all these other ways to get my thoughts out. I've got the column. All they've got is one letter. But it's extremely frustrating for me because on a number of occasions people have written letters to the free press which have been published, which are absolutely crystally clear to me, crystal clear to me, that A, they either didn't, didn't read the article carefully because they didn't understand it, or B, they're making a point that cannot be supported, that if we could sit down and I could challenge them on their points, I could prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that they're wrong. But it happens all the time. But I can't do that because I think it's perhaps unfair. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining a bit. But I wonder how, how often that happens in the world of reportage, in the world of journalism, where somebody's going to read that letter, for example, and there are going to be people who read the letter and think, well, okay, obviously, you know, it's true. Here's the letter. Makes sense. It's true. Well, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. And yet there it is. And because of my own personal constraints, I'm not going to challenge that. But it makes you wonder how often does that happen? Not just in letters to the editor, but in articles and all sorts of things. I, I things think it happens all the time. I, I even know when I just have a letter to the editor printed and somebody responds to a letter to the editor. They might totally take it out of context, misquote it, and go off on a tangent and draw all kinds of conclusions that had nothing to do with my original letter. Uh, there, I've, I've noticed in papers, especially the larger ones, there's sort of an etiquette there you only get one or two shots at the at making your opinion short as you can and and that's that's the end of it you don't start getting into these long back and forth debates mm. although i would say about twenty years ago the free press allowed certain debates i remember one time i squared off with some writer in the free press and we went back and forth i bet you five or six times my sense is yeah. they used to do that more in the old days as well. And, yeah. and I, it is interesting because you're right. We've all sort of written enough in, in newspapers that uh, that's happened. And uh, somebody will write back and, and uh, you know, 
say that you're an idiot for various reasons, which you just love to get back and say, yeah, but you didn't uh, didn't really listen to this part exactly, here. This yeah. sort of explains it. Yeah. But you never get that opportunity. And it just seems, seems to be the etiquette that they don't do that. Uh, and it's interesting as to why that is. I don't know. I, I don't know. Don't you think it'd be kind of in poor taste to always come back at it? I mean, it's, we're talking opinion here, one opinion versus another Well, opinion. we are and we aren't. What I'm yeah. saying is not a difference of opinion. I'm talking about difference in fact, where people will you know, say, okay, Chapman said such and such or wrote, wrote such and such, or meant such and such, and it's just simply not true. It's not, it's not a difference of opinion. It's just, it's not true. It didn't happen. That's not what I wrote. That's not what it meant. Well, I guess there you have a value judgment to make, and you, if it's a very important opinion, or a very, or a very important fact, rather, and, uh, you know, then you might want to do something about but it. But again, I'm not complaining yeah. about it. No. I, I still don't think it's my place to do that. I think I've had my say, they've had their say. I, I, I think that's the way the etiquette plays, yeah. I would agree with you. But I, I'm sorry, I think, though, that, that there have been instances in the past where, as you mentioned, that uh, they allow things to go back and forth, and sometimes that can be kind of fun, particularly if they're good writers and they've yeah. got sort of a, a, you know, hopefully a bit yeah. of a humor in the writing and so on, and to go back and forth. That can be a fun thing, but I guess there is the risk that it can just get real boring real quick. Mm -hmm. if you're just but that's the yourself. editor's job, yeah. though. Sure. When, when it gets boring, it stops. True. That's why I, you have an editor. I, I would like to see, I'm not talking about myself, but I'd like to see that occasionally, because you'll often see the kind of the rebuttal things, the, the pro and con. Well, there are a lot of those that the free press does it. I'd like to see a week later the same people respond to that column and, and continue to make their point. I think that'd be fascinating. That's funny because uh, that's the very thing we tried in a in a paper called the London Metro Bulletin. We point counterpoint. We'd get two people squared off, and then they'd each re read each other's columns. And the next issue, they'd respond to the mm -hmm. to the points raised in the last column back and forth and uh, seemed to go over very well but nobody else seemed to want to copy the format it's not easy by the way no it's not to get people who are good for two or three shots at the bucket <laughs> No, it's very yeah. true. But that is the way you learn. You learn by sort of, uh, you, you, you hear something or you read it, then you sort of think about it, digest it for a bit, you want to hear the other side of it, then you sort of go back and, you know, there's some subtleties that you want to have explained and so on like that. Mm. seems natural to me. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK, London's most natural radio program, and we'll be back. Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz with me on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. This is the program where we take a look at issues of the day and explore them from varying political philosophies. And you're always welcome to join us at 643-1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. Guys, I want to ask you a question. Go back up a little bit from where we are and back to more to the, the start of the, uh, of the program. Uh, we started off talking about the new Post, the National Post, Conrad's newspaper. Globe and Mail has advertised for a number of years, called itself Canada's national news newspaper. Do we need two national newspapers? I mean, is the Globe even, I mean, what is national? National essentially is what happens in Ottawa, because everything else is provincial or parochial to a certain other degree. If you're talking about a national newspaper that's relevant from one coast to the other, either it's a mishmash of stories from every, all ten provinces and two territories, three territories, or it's, it, it's just about Ottawa news. Do we need another one, do you think? Well, uh, one thing that I, that I would say is that uh, once you've read a couple of papers, you pretty well know what's going on, and you don't find that much more by, uh, you know, you open the free press it's and so see true. what's happening, then you open the Globe, then you open yep. the Star, then you open the Post, then you open the Sun. You know, uh, there's a huge amount of overlap, obviously, that uh, uh, you can spend a huge amount of time uh, reading the same thing over and over again. And, and it'll be interesting to see how many people actually subscribe to, to this paper in addition to the Globe, in addition to their local paper, which they'll probably continue to take. Um, you know, now I guess uh, there are people who subscribe to the Financial Post before who will you know, just to see this as an extension of that because yeah. the post has been incorporated into it. But that is a question. And uh, the other thing that I sort of wonder about is uh, the phenomenon of USA Today. Like
like they they're around and you see the post boxes around but i'd be interested in how many knowing how many of those they sell as well uh, it's one thing to talk about a national paper obviously they'll try to have an international component as well mm -hmm. uh, and again then you get into the overlap with with the usa today and all the local papers uh, i guess the first thing is how many hours a day do you need to spend finding out everything that happened in the day uh, to be an informed citizen or whatever because mm -hmm. there's really realistically there's way too much going on in any given day for you to figure out you can just be totally inundated with what's happening with five billion people on a planet so you spend a lot of time sifting down to what matters to me and then again how many different versions of that do you need to read i think it's good to read two or three uh, because you do get different perspectives with different uh, different columnists certainly but even mm -hmm. even reporters you know you hear different different things to some extent different uh, little bits and pieces but yeah for the most part i i'd be very surprised to see 10 years from now that we have a globe and a national post i was reading Nolton nash last night his new book about uh, the trivial of news. I think it's maybe called Trivial Pursuit, I'm not sure. Um, but I was reading last night and he was talking in there about, uh, about uh, the rise of the internet as an information medium and uh, the fact that uh, the big, one of the big knocks on it is that there's no verification on it. I mean, it's anybody can say anything and it's taken, you know, basically if you want to take it verbatim, you can. Uh, but he noted, and I had not thought about this, but he's absolutely right. Um, as the newspapers were developing across this country, the same complaint was leveled at them. The same complaint, exactly the same complaint. Well, how do we know whether this is true or it's not? It's funny you should say that. I just had a lengthy uh, two-way discussion on the Internet by email with a student at, uh, at, at, the university, at a university in Vancouver. Which one would that be? I'm not sure. Simon Fraser, maybe? Uh, yeah. And he was doing... Uh, an analysis of Freedom Party's website and asking us to take part in his uh, research on the internet and what his main questions were was how to verify the authenticity of what people read on the internet mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't give him an answer other than to suggest to him that if you want to verify the information you have to do the research yourself if you see something on anyone's site or whatever that says they've quote, quoted Statistics Canada, and this is what Statistics Canada says, if you don't believe them, check Statistics Canada. Um, if there's an event that somebody reports and you don't believe the event happened, there surely must be witnesses or someone else that saw the event. Other than that, you've got opinion, and then the reality of the opinion just is based on the honesty of the person expressing it. But how do you get so, how do you get past that? The, the old story, the the, uh, the totalitarian idea of the big lie. If you tell people something often enough, no matter how ridiculous it is, you tell them black is white. If you tell them long enough and loud enough, they'll eventually they'll believe you. Uh, it seems to me we're now we're looking at the little lie where it's just, it's everywhere. You know, the story's everywhere. Somebody breaks it on the internet, and then it goes here and goes there, and this guy talks about it, that guy talks about it, it ends up in the newspaper, ends up on a radio show. First thing you know, it's right across the continent, whatever the little story is, and there was no story in the first place. Well, so how the hell do we ever know? Well, there's always a market for gossip. I mean, gossip, I mean, some papers have gossip columnists. They call them that on purpose, so you know that you're getting... It could be it could be accurate. You never know, but it's not the kind of thing most papers would cover in their news. And and I think papers like the National Enquirer are more gossip oriented, which occasionally means that sometimes they hit on something that does become news at some mm -hmm. point, well, and that sort of that sustains their credibility. Every mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, well, that's what was the movie um, Men in Black were. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was National Enquirer had the best uh, investigative journalism in the country. Yeah, yeah, that was their source of what was really going on. <laughs> Well, it, but, but, the, but the, the, the Men in Black thing, it brings us to something else, too. If you spend any time on the Internet, and I spend some time, not a lot, but some time, and uh, several weeks ago I went looking for information about UFOs, just for fun, just to see what was out there. 
Well, they are here. There's absolutely no question about it. There are three or four different species. Yeah, several don't you believe that? Several bodies are hidden in Roswell, New Mexico, and other places around there. It's been a huge conspiracy by the American and the Soviet governments for 50 years, etc., etc., etc. Absolutely. I mean, this is the way it is. You go out there and read that information, there's no, there's no room for doubt. There's all sorts of, quote, proof of it. And... I mean, if you knew nothing about the issue at all and went in there and went and, and went to the places I went as I kind of went from, from you know, from, what do they call those things? From, not place to place. Site to site, thank you. From site to site. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I mean, this is absolutely true. All of this stuff is absolutely true. It's as true as the sun rises and sets. And yet... <sighs> you, well, picked, you picked a very... Where, where's the uh, proof? Hey, well, in the ultimate conspiracy, you know, is that the Internet was originally a military uh, invention, you know. It was originally created by the military. The Internet's the ultimate sort of, uh, sort of uh, I don't know what you call avenue for conspiracy, I guess, in that sense. Well, you know, but, but I would think that when Jim's talking about UFOs of all subjects to pick, you picked one of... This is an interesting subject to get people into a debate on because it's just interesting to hear how they reason the issue out mm -hmm. and what they, what they accept as evidence and what they don't. The very nature of the UFO phenomenon, we call them unidentified flying objects, is that it's purely observational. And that people, you can't repeat it scientifically, therefore there's no scientific proof. Mm -hmm. You can only go on the basis of witnesses. And I know that there have been many UFO reportings that have been witnessed by many, many people at, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's about as authentic as you're going to get. And that's as far as it's going to go on any particular single mm -hmm. UFO sighting. And beyond that, anything that you draw in terms of conclusions has to be opinion, has to be conjecture. You know, it's just you know some but, sort but, of extrapolation. But people aren't ex people aren't expressing it that way. You know, they have again they have the delineation of the, there's more than one species. There's the grays, and there's somebody else, and there's somebody well, else, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing. And these people, I don't know if they believe it in their heart of hearts, but they're writing it every day out there, and it, they're writing as though it's absolute gospel truth, and they're just reporting the news. And then on the other side, there are people who are writing as absolute gospel truth that there's no possibility of other life in outer space, and that the idea of any, uh, you know, visitors coming to this planet is so absurd. And then, do you believe them too? I, I find it rather hard to believe that we're the only, you know, life that mm -hmm. exists in the universe. That just doesn't fit with everything else we know. Well, the scientific, uh, again, the scientific method suggests to us that we're not alone. I think it's, it's fairly safe to say that. Statistically, you could almost figure that That's out. That's what I That's mean. Right. Statistically and, and, and empirically, I mean, it's, you'd be you're ridiculous to say that we are alone, I think, anyway. But, of course, there you're back to opinion again. But at least you, right. can, you, but you can tie that to the scientific method. As you say, statistics alone would indicate that we're not, that we're not alone here. Well, that sort of distinguishes then between, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about columnists versus news, news reporters and the difference between sort of the gathering of raw information versus the sort of analysis of the information and uh, and uh, opinion that you result uh, that you arrive at after you've sort of analyzed it and uh, you know to the extent that the internet has places where it says you know uh, here's here's a phenomenon that was observed or whatever that those are all sort of the raw facts but when you get into the gathering of the uh, the opinions that's where uh, where it, I think can break down quite easily because it is so easy to, to put those on and and the internet as well uh, when you mentioned that for some reason I was struck by the story a month or two ago about the uh, there's supposed to be a young man and woman who were going to uh, consummate the relationship on the internet mm -hmm. it turned out to be a hoax mm -hmm. uh, completely a hoax and you know I heard the minute I heard that I, th I figured that was a hoax yeah, it so just that, didn't make I sense said so on the air because yeah. it didn't it's exactly <laughs> it didn't make 
that's, sense. That's how, that's how you have to look at the news. You have to apply reason to everything, you know, like even any... Well, you have to analyze the analysis. You've got to analyze the analysis and everything. <laughs> you know, when it came, this, this UFO thing, for example, I used to get into a lot of debates with uh, Gordon Mood, who's been on this mm -hmm. show, and, and we, get, we get into arguments over what constitutes proof. You know, Gord's, uh, Gord's a total skeptic in, in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm telling him, well, you know, if I stuck a UFO in front of you and put it right there in front of you and let you look at it, you'd say it wasn't one because you've already made up your mind not to believe that. And that's, that's the way the, the, the conversation gets. And I, I learned a lot from those discussions how that applies to politics and to religion and to other areas of our life, that people generally are going to believe what they believe regardless. And, and when they're looking for information to challenge them or to verify what they already believe, that's where the frustration comes in. Let me put this to both of you guys. It, it has often occurred to me, or I, I've thought about it on numerous occasions, that if we could take all the energy in this country and the United States, we'll put the two of them together for this, for this exercise, if we could take all the energy that is expended on um, UFOs, on, on researching them, on believing in them, on talking about them, on people spending their time on them, and devote that to political reform, We'd have a radically different society. That's boring, though. Well, is what that, what that, it, is mean, that though? why, though? Is what that why? Mean? What would that mean to take the energy and convert it to political reform? Well, uh, I mean, take the money that people spend on all that stuff and no, just not, give it to the government or what? Let, let me rephrase it again. There are great numbers of people who are willingly devote large amounts of time to the consideration, the pursuit, whatever you want, uh, surrounding this whole issue. Mm -hmm. um, the great lack, I think, we have in our society today on a political sense is there's not enough people involved at the grass. There is no grassroots in politics in Canada, and very little in the United States. So we've got all, and all of these people who I'm sure are complaining bitterly about the government, they're saying, well, I haven't got time to get involved, and yet they've got, you know, endless amounts of time, it seems, to chase these chimeras that are racing across the landscape. Yeah, because they're getting what they want out of that. They know if they go into politics, it's just one wall of frustration after the next, trying to work within a collective. It doesn't work. You're, you're always going to be outvoted or be one voice of many. As an individual, you have a lot of power. You can do whatever you want. You can pursue the interests that you like. And, you know, given that subject, I'm sure there are some people who have some very serious interests in it. Uh, most notably, I think, is, is what's his name from the U.S. Air Force? J. Allen Hynek was, mm -hmm. was in it. Yeah. You know, he was, he was once a major debunker who worked for the, for yeah. the Air Force and yeah. switched sides. Yeah. So you, you have to go on the credibility of how, how credible do you, do you take that person as a witness? But that's the and, point, and really, that comes back to what we were saying before, isn't it? And you said it before. Reputation is everything. Yes. When we're talking about news, when we're talking about information, you have to, as my dad used to remind me all the time, consider the source. Right. Now, if you, if, for example, if you hear an experienced airline pilot with two or three people who were with him in the cockpit of a plane reporting a UFO, are you going to believe them more than the, than the farmer down in the field who saw something flying across the field? I mean, they're, they're more trained to observe some kind of phenomenon, so you're going to accept their word more readily. And some people will never believe it one way or the other. I think that the part of the difference, the reason that people are interested in, in searching for UFOs rather than sort of searching for the polit perfect political system or one that would be effective is that there's a chance of finding a UFO. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're going to leave it right there. We're coming back. It's left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. We've been talking about, the, about the truth, I guess, and reporting, and how do we how do we separate the wheat from the chaff? How do we know what we're getting? And do, are we getting a balanced picture? We've got Gord on the line. Hi, Gord. Hello. 
I'd just like to uh, state that I'm not an absolute skeptic, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gord. Um, I was afraid of this, you know. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about uh, how we can verify certain things that we see, say, for instance, on the net. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the things that you have to look at is the number of different sources. Um, so don't just trust one source, but look at uh, different sources and see if they say the same thing from different witnesses, for example. Well, when you, when you say sources, though, are you just talking about anybody who's got a, key, got a terminal and is plugged into the net? Uh, well, you could start with that. But yes. uh, what does that tell you? There could be, you know, there could be... Well, you have to start with step one. Okay. The next is step two, right? right? You can go from, for instance, a person who claims something, then you go to the source that he claimed, then you go from there to see if there are other sources okay. that verify that. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, the other thing is the convergence of evidence to show that certain things did happen. In other words, different factors to prove your point. But what if you're an individual who doesn't have time to do that, and yet you're concerned that you want to know the truth? Well, most people don't have the time to do that, and that's the problem. Uh, the problem with the media is they can't be trusted because they have been known to lie, uh, and they have been known to get things wrong. Let me say categorically that has never happened. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but for example, CNN, uh, for example, had uh, a fallacious story. Um, ABC has been known to tamper with certain uh, uh, stories. Uh, you know, so you have to uh, view things skeptically in the sense that uh, is it absolutely the truth, or are they, uh, for example, giving you an opinion of something? But, or, but again, to the average person listening today, they don't have time to get there, but they want to get there. They want to arrive somewhere where they have some sense that, that, what, you know, that, that what I'm sorting out of this is the truth. How do they do that? Well, you have to trust your own sense, too. Um, you can't rely on other people to give you the absolute truth because sometimes uh, you know, witnesses have been known to make mistakes. Um, so basically, you just have to do your own research. You, the, you cannot rely on others to give you 100% uh, all the time. People make mistakes, and uh, that's just the way you have to live with it. Right, Gord, appreciate the call. Okay. Thank you, sir. I, th I think Gord's right in a way that you kind of always have to start off as a skeptic. Mm -hmm. And then as you learn a particular columnist or person's point of view or a method of reporting, you may become a... A, a quote a true believer of that person you know like you will support them because you've known in the past they've always given accurate reporting they've mm -hmm. been very objective with the facts and then you trust them more and you're not worried about doing the research yourself anymore you found a source that quote you can trust mm -hmm. and I think that is the ultimate objective of most people in legitimate media who want to create a source of information that the that their listeners or readers can trust and that they'll keep coming back to and counting on for that information I think it's human nature, though, that uh, that gets into that mix and causes um, maybe the skepticism to a fair extent. But I think about, for instance, to go back to Conrad Black for a minute, and if I was Conrad Black and I and I could put out a paper sort of across the country, and he's got who many who knows how many papers Southam has, uh, and and I saw the world in a certain way, and I genuinely genuinely believed it would be better if the world went in this particular direction. It'd be a huge temptation to do what I could to to achieve that. It'd be extremely hard to keep my mitts off, or worse, to have my my papers or the things that I own causing something to go in a direction other than the one that I think is genuinely best. Um, same with reporters and and columnists. The same kind of thing uh, filters the information. 
Uh, and it may be that the best we can hope for, uh, to some extent, there are people who may write things they absolutely disagree with and, and have no problem with that because they see it as objective reporting. But it may be that the best we can hope for is something you've talked about, which is at least you know where they're coming from. Right. I think that is the best. And if you live in a free society, you're going to get all kinds of different opinions coming from different directions. Isn't there also the element that, uh, that people like Conrad Black essentially are, and, and people are going to wonder if I've lost my marbles, but essentially they're elected to those positions. Conrad Black was elected through the virtue of the fact that the people uh, to whom he wants to appeal uh, have found him appealing or have found his products appealing and have purchased those products. Well, yes, in the market sense, you mean. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's credible, though. The people buy lots of things that are entertainment that, that have no... Pre look, the, the National Enquirer is the biggest paper in, uh, in the United States. Uh, no, the point I was trying to make, though, is that he, he, there is a relationship between reaching the position he's at. Maybe different with Ken Thompson, who inherited all his money, but, you know, I guess you could still further it away. That happens. Look at the Eatons. But a guy like Black, who did also inherit a bunch of money, but, but certainly he's become as wealthy as he is because the people have said, yes, Conrad, we like the product you're giving us. Yeah, yeah. well, that's right. <sighs> Are we agreed then, or maybe we're not agreed, are we agreed that the way the media works today in terms of truth or consequences is, are we pretty close to as good as we're going to get? I mean, it's kind of an informal balance and, and uh, a discriminating reader or consumer, if they exercise discrimination, can probably get to the truth of most stories. Is that a reasonable thing I to say? I certainly think in the near future, the consumer is going to have more and more power himself to do that research because of things like the Internet. You don't even have to get up and go to the library anymore. You just go and search and you get all sorts of, uh, you know, like all these programs do your searching for you. You mm -hmm. just type in the word and they'll mm -hmm. find all the references to it for you and then you just leaf through them. It, it takes effort. I know a lot of people want to know without putting the effort in, but I'm afraid it just things don't work like that in the real world. And if you're really that concerned about the accuracy of something, uh, then you have to put that effort in. Is there not a danger, though, you alluded earlier to this... Uh uh, feeling of security with these people, feeling of trust that you can trust yes, them. Yes, that can get dangerous if you it, if it turns blind after a while. Well, the argument was <laughs> once made that Walter Cronkite could easily have been elected president of the United States, but <clears throat> certainly, you know, maybe wasn't. And he himself said, I saw mm -hmm. an interview and said, it's a ridiculous idea. I'm not equipped to be the president of the United States. And yet, the status or the pollsters at one point said, he well, hands down, anybody can get Walter Cronkite and get him nominated for president, and he'll be president. End of story. Well, that speaks to the political system less than to the ob objectivity of the media, because you're 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 going into another sphere now. I think. Yeah. yeah. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Jim, thank you very much. Good to have you here. And uh, a week from today, uh, Bob and Jeff will be back for the next edition of Left, Right, and Center. Let me tell you what's coming up tomorrow on the program. Canada's. Uh, <laughs> Karen's written, Ubiquitous Pop Culture Guru. I don't know about that. Jeff Bevere will be with us. He's got a new book out all about the Roots clothing chain. And no, it's not a sellout.